Growing up poor in the Deep South meant sharing a lot with my little brother, Ollie. Most often, we'd pass toys, clothes, and skin conditions between us. Up until he was six, we even shared a bed. Neither of us was happy about that. It was my 10th birthday when that changed. I got one present that year, and it was a bed of my own. Ollie was jealous right away, and I could understand why. He had to keep that half-broken-down frame with the worn-out mattress. The one I'd gotten wasn't much better, but not being broken and worn was enough. Sleeping apart was a great feeling. It was freedom. No longer would I have to suffer the sudden and inexplicable kicks to my stomach. No longer would I wake up with Ollie's foot pressed into my neck like he'd stepped on Dracula the night before. At least, that's what I thought. Right away, right after I got the new bed, the shriek started. At first, I thought Ollie woke up in the middle of the night and screamed because he'd gotten scared. Then, the sound echoed through the tiny room again, and I knew it wasn't a normal cry. The room was always black as pitch after sunset. The one window we had was pressed against a long leaf pine, and even the biggest, brightest moon cast no light inside. The shriek just about drove me crazy. Every night, probably at the same exact time, these sharp yelps would knock me right out of my dreams. It wasn't my mom or dad yelling either. I knew what that sounded like, believe me. Most worrying of all was the fact I could never tell where it was coming from. It seemed completely random. One night, it would come from somewhere near the closet. The next, it would shoot from a corner of the ceiling. Any hope I'd have of having my own space would get dashed every time as Ollie would silently slip into bed with me, shaking like crazy. He'd clasp onto me and wouldn't let go until it was almost daybreak. Most times, I'd take his hand and tell him everything was going to be okay, that it'd be over by morning. But I was never really sure. Over time, the shriek started changing. At first, it was only by small degrees, but eventually, it took on the primal hooting sound of a primate calling out its fierce warning. I had to clasp pillows over my ears just to keep from going deaf. Mom and Dad never believed me or Ollie, basically because the thing, whatever it was, refused to make a peep when they were in the room. Apparently, they couldn't even hear it through the walls, even though it was damn sure loud enough. The shriek just got worse and worse until I felt like I couldn't take it anymore. Me and Ollie were doing really bad in school, and we just had no energy at all. I could sleep more deeply with my head propped up and eyes open in the middle of class than in my own room at night. Then, thankfully, we moved out of the house nearly a year later. I contemplated all sorts of things, even a child's clumsy concept of suicide to get away from the horrific nightly noise. There was no problem at the next house. It was a nice white cookie cutter home on a dead end street and I welcomed the normalcy. What's more, when we moved in, there was a bunk bed waiting for me and Ollie. No more broken bed, no more second bed I ended up having to share anyway. The only problem was deciding who'd get the top bunk. I told Ollie I deserved it. After all, I had gotten a new bed way back and he ruined it by climbing in every night. What? He shook his head. I never did that. I'd always wondered why the noise stopped the second I was sharing my bed. Now I had the answer. Hi. I'm Jamie Markey. And I'm Michael Tatum, and this... Is Ghoul Intention. Welcome, welcome, foolish yes. mortals. Yes! We have ghosts and stories and fun things for you. Some island stories today. Yes. I love island yes. stories. Gets me in the mood, because I'm about to go on a cruise as we... You like, are. this will have... <clears throat> Will this air when I'm still on the cruise? You'll be on the cruise. I'll be on the cruise. For I hope I'm enjoying myself. I hope you are too. <laughs> I, I bet I am. I, I bet you are. And it's a Caribbean too. cruise as I well. Know. So it'll be fun. 
Um, well, first, let me think. Slime Beast. Slime Beast. You did not submit that. You wrote it in a creepy pasta, and I took it from the internet. And I appreciate you. <laughs> it was a damn it's good a story. Good story. Nice Slime and Beast. It's very good. good name too. Really Slime enjoyed Beast. It. Yeah. Speaking of names, the name of today's episode yes. we're calling "A Dash of Madness." A Dash of Madness. It's a quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson. Sanity is very rare. Every man, almost, and every woman has a dash. Little sexist and a but, dash of sexism, apparently, but not entirely wrong. <laughs> Women are just more exciting. Some men are so boring they can't be. Uh, yeah, men. I think that's what yeah. uh, Ralph was saying. He's just that's like what it is. some men are boring and women aren't. Just even the boring women have a dash of men. Dash, yeah, it's exciting. <laughs> it's, it's a little fun. What was the inspiration for today's topic? Because you kind of got me off on it. I didn't know what um, I was going to do this week until you mentioned what you were doing, and I was like, "Ooh, okay. Well, let's look into that." And then I found something really well, fun. But I was thinking about you know where we haven't done. You know, because mm, we mm. we've we've spread out, but we haven't been you know certainly not covered the world. No, um, no, no. It's and too, then I was like, a lot of work. what sounds great right now? And I believe at the time it was uh, twenty eight degrees in Dallas, and I thought <laughs> I'd like to go to an island in the Caribbean. And so I and you were like, and Tatum's about to go on a cruise to the Caribbean. Yeah, exactly. Fuck. It worked out, and I actually started watching Haunted History, the Caribbean. Or oh, Caribbean, depending yeah. on how you say I think say both it. are fine. From back in the day. It yeah, was fun. Back, that was, was that like a late 90s uh, mm-hmm. History Channel show? Back uh-huh. when History Maybe Channel was... Maybe 2000s even? It may have blended the early 2000s. That kind of... Yeah. That time period just really mm-hmm. has merged together for me as one. Um, it's all decades it's, ago now. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> literal decades. Uh, <laughs> so we're old we're old yeah so then i told you what i was doing mm-hmm. i got inspired from that which we'll get into and then you were like hey that's a good idea so but you get to go first i get so. to go first because <clears throat> my story is much shorter than yours and i'm looking forward to your story because i don't know much about yours i know mm-hmm. just enough to be interested but i know nothing about the details yes <clears throat> Do you know anything about mine? Have you ever heard about mine? I don't think no. so. All right. Only All from right. what I saw in Haunted History. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I knew nothing about, about this uh, person. Um, and mine is not so much a ghost story. There are ghost stories attached to what happened. But uh, like a lot of good stories, they're just stories. And I think that what actually happened is much more interesting. So it's more of a true crime thing, I mm. guess. Um, I do love but it's true certainly, crime. It is certainly true. true. <laughs> climb true. True crime. <laughs> so my um, thing today is uh, it's going to be about Lewis Hutchinson, the mad doctor of Edinburgh Castle, Jamaica. So more than one, a dash. There's just a hmm? yeah, more, more than a dash. More than a dash of madness. Uh, apparently, yeah. Uh, so that's a lot to unpack. There's people will be like, wait, there's a there's a Scottish castle in Jamaica. There is, um, or there's the ruins of one. So my sources for this bit are a couple of books. One named Historic Jamaica by Frank Kundal, care of the Institute of Jamaican Archives. Tales of uh, Tales of Old Jamaica by a gentleman named C. V. Black. A couple of articles. Um, one called Lewis Hutchinson, the Mad Master by Dr. Rebecca Tortella for the Jamaican Gleaner. Jamaica's Count Dracula by Gilman Dennis, and a French article, Le Chateau mm. de Merson Feu, which is uh, the House of the Mad Doctor. That means the, God the, bless the you. The... <laughs> Say it again. And La tell me... de Merson Feu. See, tell me that doesn't yeah. mean God bless you. It's like a little aggressive, like the French, but also bless no. you. Le Chateau. The French don't ever. The French language doesn't sound aggressive to me. It sounds incredibly <clears throat> like seductive and just it... like I picture someone just lounging naked in a on, on a couch and just being like le, You're gonna le tell Chateau me. De it's like you, the opposite of aggression. No. You have to do all the work. Here's the thing. <laughs> Here's I I find it hard to believe that you don't know of French terms that are aggressively sexual. Oh no, the terms are aggressively sexual. Right. But I think the terms are aggressively sexual because the French the people. The sounds aren't. can be aggressive. Also, the I fact that they leave know. out multiple letters of words is aggressive. I mean, I guess that's <laughs> that's passive aggressive. <laughs> 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 Let's Multiple define letters. our terms, Jamie. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, uh, also a couple of websites, uh, Murderpedia, yes, um, one called just a, a general website called the History Collection, and a website called All Things Georgian, which does not refer to all things from Georgia, but all things from the Georgian time period oh, during the reign or all of things the King George's. Uh, so let's just dive into it. Okay. 
Though far from a household name, in his day, Scottish immigrant Lewis Hutchinson was the scourge of St. Anne's Parish, Jamaica. Travelers passing through the beautiful port town, nicknamed the Garden Parish for its incomparably lush and varied flora, were advised by locals to steer clear of the, quote, mad doctor's estate as though their lives depended on it. Those foolhardy enough to dismiss the warnings out of hand and venture near the austere two-story mansion christened Edinburgh Castle were seldom seen or heard from again the musket fire ringing out in the dead of night left neighbors little in doubt as to what had befallen them. <laughs> Some wayfarers, it was whispered, even enjoyed a touch of first-class hospitality before being sent to their maker at the good doctor's hands. Now, the castle itself, and you can still go see the ruins, it's up on a hill. Uh, at the time, it was just the hill, like, overlooked the main road from St. Anne's Parish and on the way to Kingston, which was the only other populated place. And so it was kind of strategically located. It was, uh, as we'll hear about as the article goes forward, if you were a traveler who just came to port in St. Anne's Parish and were, like, going to take the road to Kingston, you had to pass by it. And it was the only place around for miles where you might hope to get a drink or maybe mm -hmm. lodging for the night. And so it was very customary. People were like, oh, well, it's a big fun castle. Cool, let me knock on the door and see who's here. Um, I like the idea of just knocking on the door of a castle. Wouldn't you have to? <laughs> I mean, not after reading the story, no, but at no. the time, this is before the internet, so people didn't know anybody. How do you get into a castle? <laughs> well, so it's not really a castle, but it's it's a house that's built to kind of look like one. Right. Or was. Like, there's only ruins of it now. There's, like, the curtain wall and a couple of what's left of the turrets. But, but with a castle. it was basically a, a square-shaped two-story house with two turret towers on either side. It mm. kind of diagonals to each other. And it overlooked this hill. Mm. Um, and it was just very imposing. And it was nicknamed Edinburgh Castle just because I don't know whether... Whether Hutchinson nicknamed it that because he was Scottish and he was trying to make his own Edinburgh Castle, or whether like the locals just called it that because it was owned by a Scotsman. Mm. Um, but there were a lot of Scottish in St. Anne's Parish at the time, so it it just seems weird that like oh he's you know, he wasn't the only Scotsman, so I don't think it was given the name as kind of a pejorative because oh there's the Scotsman's place. There were a lot of Scotsmen, right. and they didn't have Edinburgh <clears throat> castles. Well, and then Jamaica was English territory, British yes. territory, yes, 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 and Cuba which is directly up with uh -huh, Spanish uh -huh. territory at the time. Right, right. Uh, so the self-styled doctor from Scotland wasn't just a paranoid coot lethally averse to trespassers, you see. Like General Zaroff from Richard Connell's story, The Most Dangerous Game, uh, which you probably read in junior high at some point, um, and this guy may have been the true life inspiration for, Lewis Hutchinson lived to lure and hunt human beings. <gasps> I know that story. He was, Yeah, yeah. They made a film of it in the 30s, yes. actually, which which apparently inspired, they think might have inspired the Zodiac Killer. So, wow. like, it just keeps on. It's a meme that just keeps on giving. I guess so. Um, he was, in fact, Jamaica's first and to date most prolific serial killer. <gasps> Born in Scotland in 1733, not much is known of Hutchinson's life before he set down stakes in Jamaica sometime during the uh, 1760s, the late 1760s, I believe, claiming to have studied medicine back home, though there's no proof of it whatsoever. He just told people he was a doctor. Yeah. You could do that back then. You could. You could just be like, hey, guess what? <laughs> yeah, because what are they going to do? Yeah. <laughs> Go online and check your credentials? They couldn't. Um, he'd come to St. Anne's to live the life of a gentleman, which in those days meant owning land, lots of it, and owning people. Jamaica being a way station for the human trafficking in the late 18th century, Hutchinson uh, bought two dozen slaves to work his newly acquired sugar plantation, built an ugly-ass castle near the main road, and amassed an envious herd of livestock to boot. Before his reign of terror was over, Hutchinson would own just fewer than 100 slaves in total, according to the Legacies of British Slave Ownership Project, which is a project that um, historians in Britain and elsewhere have put together to try to figure out... Um, how many slaves were funneled right. through the British Empire yeah. during this time? Because, of course, they were the biggest, you know, uh, uh, I mean, slave trade. It was, was industry. Just, it, was, it was industry. And, it was so, and because of the British Empire, they were everywhere through them. So it was yeah. fucking crazy. Um, from the start, Hutchinson was persona non grata. His brusque, violent manner won him few friends among the townsfolk. The man was, so universally, was also universally despised for how he went about collecting livestock. Cattle would often wander onto his property from neighboring estates, a common enough occurrence for the region. Hutchinson would increase his fortunes by simply refusing to give the creatures back to their owners. <laughs> Most of his neighbors were comparatively too poor to contest ownership in a court of law, so the Scotsman prospered at their expense. Yeah. What an asshole. Um, but it's when wayfarers began vanishing in droves that heads really started to turn. Not long after Hutchinson's arrival, writes Dr. Rebecca Tortilla in an article for the Jamaican Gleaner, cases of travelers disappearing without a trace began to mount, and suspicions run rampant. Little did they know the level of torture these hapless souls endured at the madman's 
Anne's whim, Edinburgh Castle being the only inhabited dwelling for miles south of St. Anne's Parish, travelers would often knock on the door of the stately home to ask after room and board. Those not shot on sight might Ooh. be welcomed to share the good doctor's table for the night, where, over excellent vintage and sumptuous fare, he might regale them with tales of his youth in Scotland, only to shoot them dead through the heart by dessert. Hutchinson killed for sport, wow. not money, Tortillo explains, as travelers of all shapes, sizes, and income levels were equal game. Rumors abounded that the, quote, Mad Master of Edinburgh, another of his charming nicknames, went so far as to lap up his victim's blood in a drunken ecstasy before commanding his terrified <laughs> slaves to throw the bodies in the sinkhole on the property, known to this day as Hutchinson's Hole. Ooh. Another version of the tale says that he stuffed the bodies in the hollow of a cotton tree for the carrion birds to pick off. Suppose there's no reason he couldn't have done both. It's hard to imagine the, the ersatz doctor growing bored with his usual M.O. and making a nature experiment of certain victims for the sheer sadistic pleasure of watching their bodies being picked apart by buzzards. And again, people didn't like to wander onto his property because they thought they'd get shot. So he could do whatever the fuck he wanted and be yeah. like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You find a body? Cool. Come on. Go looking. <laughs> Um, there is, of course, ample room for argument as to where the line between rumor and fact can reasonably be drawn in this case, but regardless, Hutchinson's reputation among his contemporaries proved sinister enough that denizens of St. Anne's Parish avoided him at all costs. Wow. According to historian Frank Kundal, who wrote in the early 20th century, quote, about the year 1768, there lived in Edinburgh Castle in the Pedro district of St. Anne, Jamaica, a desperado called Lewis <laughs> Hutchinson. I love that he used desperado. That was a pejorative back in, you know, in 1912. Mm -hmm. um, he owned the property on which he lived and was said to have been a man of some education, but he was the terror of the neighborhood, and it was not infrequent for a white man to disappear mysteriously, and it would then be said that Hutchinson's, that Hutchinson, it's a hard name to say, Hutchinson, yeah. Yeah. had made away with him by shooting him as he passed the castle, which was furnished with loopholes and overlooked the road. But these stories are hard to verify, and such was the unsettled and lawless state of the island in those days that people preferred to leave Hutchinson alone rather than attempt to have him arrested. Now, travelers had no choice but to travel along the main road directly passing Edinburgh Castle in order to reach their final destinations, often uh, Kingston, which was the closest. According to Reverend Bridges, uh, a historian uh, from the early part of the 19th century, many met untimely ends in their journeys. It seems Hutchinson killed for sport, and as stated in the definition above of a serial killer, you seem, uh, he seemed motivated by psychological urges and not just money. Yeah, the thing that stands up that's weird about this guy mm -hmm. is how hated he was. Yeah. That is not normal for a lot of the serial killers. And maybe it's just because today they don't, people don't get the freedom to be by themselves and do whatever the fuck they want. Yeah, that's true. So they have to kind of kind put on put a social on face. something. Or even yeah. if, you know, they're, they're weird. They're not <laughs> aggressive. You know what I mean? the phrase, it's the quiet ones you gotta watch. Right. There, this was not one great, of those. There's a great, this is a great example of Car George Carlin, God rest his soul, um, his bit on that. He's like, they always say it's the quiet ones you gotta watch. He's like, you're in a bar. There's some guy sitting on your right, just sipping milk, not saying much. And then there's another guy next to you, <laughs> screaming, <laughs> pulling his hair, beating a machete on the bar and saying, I'll kill the next motherfucker that rocks in here. Who are you going to watch? Because <laughs> like, while you're watching the quiet one, the noisy one's going to fucking kill you. <laughs> yeah, it's just so funny. I guess that's... A difference in in type. Of, I guess, of yeah. Killer. I just... guess, but I think you bring up a good point. Like, like the modern serial killer, for the most part. I mean, gone are the days for the. I mean, hopefully for uh, that that people could have these vast estates where they could do whatever they wanted with impunity, so it didn't matter because they right. they were protected by money. I mean, there are percentages of people that of which that may be true now, but for the most part, if you're living a normal life, um, you have neighbors that'll be like. Um, Fuck you. Yeah. That, that's that's well, not going to be a nice just like, person in order to get away with it for any length of time. You just had to tell people, be careful on that road. This guy likes to kill people for fun. Okay, have a good journey. <laughs> Write me when you get there. Imagine vacationing in Jamaica and people going, oh, yeah, welcome here. We've got this great place. This is awesome. There's a great restaurant down the road. But, um, just don't go near that guy's house. He might kill you. He's killed a lot of people. Why did you arrest him? I, I don't know. I know. That's I just don't very know. strange. But that was the way the law at the time. If you had yeah. money and it's like no one wanted to go. I mean, I guess at the time it was like, and, and we'll kind of get into this a little bit, like in order for him to have been apprehended, someone would have had to go on his property and risk their lives. And like, well, he can shoot you from anywhere on his property. That's what right. his MO. So it's like, who wants to go up there? Okay, no, no one's raising their hands. No one, no volunteers? Cool. Right. All right, well, I guess just we'll just let him be. Keep your distance. <laughs> uh, so from this Reverend Bridges account, it says, quote, yet no traveler who attempted that defile I love the language in this. Yet no traveler who attempted that defile, however poor or wretched he might be, ever escaped the confines of their owner's narrow territory. 
The needy wanderer would sometimes call for refreshment at the only habitation that for many miles had cheered his weary eye, but it was the last he was destined ever to behold. The wealthy passenger was alike the mark and victim of his unerring aim from a loophole under which he was compelled to pass. A thick-set hedge of logwood had also been so prepared by the roadside at a short distance from the house that while he could detain in conversation anyone who might pass during the time that he was engaged in his cattle ford hard by, his slaves from behind the fence could leisurely take aim at the devoted victim. That's another theme that comes about that often he engaged his slaves to kill with him or for him or whatever. Like, he just right. fucking despicable human being. To enjoy the gory spectacle, he first dissevered the ghastly head from the, palpa uh, the palpitating body. His most pleasing occupation was to wet his streaming knife. Uh, his steaming knife. The gloomy temper of his soul was sated only by a copious flow of blood. <laughs> and when he could no longer gaze upon the decaying countenance, he placed it high in the air in the hollow trunk of a cotton tree where vultures might complete the horrid deed. The mangled carcass was thrown down one of those deep and hollow drains which are peculiar to mountainous countries of volcanic origin and whose mouths descending perpendicularly <laughs> conduct the torrents which periodically fall to the level of the ocean. Such a description. The sinkhole became known as Hutchinson's Hole. Whatever drove his lust for killing, he achieved the goal of many a serial killer. He drove fear into the hearts of all who knew his name. It makes me wonder if it's just this really loud, grumpy dude Scotsman, who would yell at people that he was going to kill him, and he's killed people before, and they were just <laughs> like... I think that maybe we shouldn't go past there. And then it grew from there. And maybe maybe, maybe he killed a few people. Maybe it was just but, his accent, too. He, like yeah. Maybe people just thought he said it was going to murder you. I said, fucking murder you, fucking murder you. It was really just saying good morning. Um, <laughs> just, a, just a misunderstanding. Just, it's, just that a nobody misunderstanding. Understands. Well, there's a guy named Dr. John Hutton of the neighboring Bonville plantation. Uh, and he fell into a land dispute with Hutchinson and almost paid for it with his head, literally. According to one account, Hutton was riding by Edinburgh Castle when he and an accompanying slave were waylaid by Hutchinson in the road. Hutchinson brazenly pilfered a, sab a saber that the slave kept on his person for self-defense, though Hutton let it go at the time. Sometime later, Hutchinson attacked him with the same saber while Hutton was en route to visit his daughter in Kingston. Hutton survived his injuries and demanded authorities do something about the homicidal menace of St. Anne's. He lodged a formal complaint against him in Kingston, but nothing appears to have been done. Mm. It wasn't until the cold-blooded murder of John Callender, a young English soldier who bravely volunteered to bring Hutchinson to justice, that officials got off their asses and decided to act. Mm. According to All Things Georgian, a blog dedicated to true crime tidbits of the Georgian era, quote, a soldier by the name of Callender and some other men were sent to Edinburgh Castle to arrest him, but Hutchinson realized what was about to happen. He fired a shot at Callender and killed him. He was eventually overpowered and arrested and taken to Spanish Town Jail. Uh, his castle was searched where some 43 watches were found, along with a large quantity of clothing and other objects, which proved that, as many people had suspected, he had committed other murders. Ew. There so wasn't. I, I guess he did kill all them people. Well, it certainly looks it. There was an that there was an instant uproar. It was just uh, like uproar. a raging watch thief. That's <laughs> like, give me your watch, you can pass. And funny, all I did was just steal watches. <laughs> like, like I didn't kill him. I just took their watches. He was just like, like a, a bridge pay the troll. troll. Yeah. <laughs> pay the troll. <laughs> give me your watch. Answer me these questions three. <laughs> what is the time? They're like, oh, fuck it. Here. Um, yeah. <laughs> there was. <laughs> I'm not trying to exonerate the man, I'm just saying, maybe. He just liked um, watches. He's just, that Scottish accent can do a lot of things. There was an instant uproar from the rest of the country when it was found out Hutchinson had killed Callender, and the population cried out for his head. The government authorized his immediate arrest. <laughs> One popular story has it that Hutchinson, aware that he was done for, abandoned Edinburgh Castle altogether and fled south to Old Harbor to try and escape by sea. The Royal Navy, As however... As opposed to the other ways that you could escape, Jamaica? <laughs> 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 Sorry. By air. He's just he's gonna sit there and wait for a plane to be invented. He's gonna start um, flapping his arms. <laughs> he's like, I, I just got back from Jamaica and boy, my arm's tired. <laughs> Do you hear that? He said he's gonna kill me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, damn it, no! <laughs> Every fucking where I go. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, the Royal Navy, however, was watching the island's ports of entry and, and exit, and led by uh, Admiral Rodney, whose statue now stands in Spanish Town Square, Hutchinson's getaway vessel was intercepted. Increasingly desperate, Hutchinson made a last-ditch attempt to escape by leaping overboard, but according to Kundal, quote, In this too he was thwarted, for, we are told, his flaming red hair betrayed his presence even when he dived, and he was eventually rescued by men from the warship, taken into port, and later sent on to Spanish Town for trial. 
Hutchinson pleaded not guilty to the charges laid against him, but the evidence was too overwhelming. More from Kundal, quote, The castle was searched and 43 watches were said to have been found there besides quantities of clothing and many other articles showing that Hutchinson had committed most, if not all, of the murders with which he was purportedly credited. His unfortunate slaves, to whom, as may be supposed, he had been friendly, came now gladly and told all that they know, mm. uh, all that they knew about these proceedings and uh, showed what he used to do with the bodies of the victims, which had hitherto been a puzzle. And during the trial, it was also found out that Hutchinson was not alone in these acts, but had a group of like-minded individuals who participated and watched enthusiastically. One such, uh, one such crony, a planter named James Walker, was found guilty and condemned to death for the murder of a traveler named William Lickley. Hutchinson ha was eventually found guilty of the murder of John Callender and hanged in Spanish Town on March 16th, March 16th, 1773. <laughs> it is said that he left funds to inscribe the following epitaph on his tombstone, quote, their sentence, pride and malice, I defy, despise their power, and like a Roman, die. This was never inscribed on stone. The ruins of Edinburgh Castle still remain today and are listed among the Jamaican National Heritage Trust's historic sites of interest. However, it is said that people in the neighboring community stay far away from the place as the ghosts of his murdered victims still roam the ruins at night. Ooh. Now, I tried my damnedest to search for actual, like, witness accounts of ghost stories, but mm -hmm. it, there's just none. Not, yeah. not that anyone has put on, on the web anywhere to be found. Right. Um, but you can go. There's several people who have filmed themselves going to visit the, the ruins during the day, and it's, it's a really neat-looking area. Yeah. Like, from several points in the ca castle, you can see, like, or the ruins of the castle, you can look out in the hill and be like, that's weed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so so, I'm, so I'm, I'm surprised the spot's not more popular, but... <laughs> Uh, but yeah, and it's interesting too. The uh, the castle is also featured as a level in Assassin's Creed Three. Oh, that's yeah, cool. Which is kind of interesting. But yeah, so there there you have it. Uh, Jamaica's Ooh, first, first and best, best serial best, killer, worst. Yeah, and there's a most lot of prolific. Room for, it seems to the watches, the the watches and the clothing seems to suggest yeah. that he was a killer. But they, uh, there's, I was able to to look up a few examples of people trying to find this sinkhole on his property, and they have found several sinkholes, but no mm. bodies in them. But I don't know how how hard they've tried, right? <laughs> to look. And um, because they're volcanic and, and volcanic in nature, so some of them may go further down than people can go. I, I'm not really clear on right. that. But well, and also, I mean, it's been. A while. It's been a few centuries. Yeah. Been a few centuries. Um, it's, I mean, yeah. Interesting. He's, he's, his, his murders are older than our country. Wow. But yeah, so there we go. I've never, I imagine I've a, Scottish, never heard of a that. Scottish castle in Jamaica with a serial killer and possibly ghosts. So mm. yes, that was the story of Lewis Hutchinson. Lewis Hutchinson. The mad doctor, sometimes known as the mad master of Edinburgh Castle, Jamaica. I like it. Mm. That was good. Thank you. Now, what do you got? What do you got for us? Okay, so mine is also on Jamaica. Nice. <clears throat> nice. Uh, and We're staying in the island. We're going to stay a while. staying on the island. Let's visit. Let's just visit a different area. So mine uh, happens to be the ghost of Noel Coward. <gasps> so. The playwright and painter and songwriter. I love Noel Coward. He's so great. Okay, so. My uh, sources are Kathy Henderson on Broadway Buzz, Wikipedia, Firefly Jamaica, um, and uh, other sources uh, around the internet, but mostly those three. Mm. A little bit here. And, and Haunted Angel History. Webs. And Haunted History, of haunted course. Haunted History. So in the spring of 1941, as Londoners endured the bit, Blitz, superstar playwright mm. Noel C Coward slipped away to Wales to work on a new script. Noel wrote in his diary... Title is Blythe Spirit. Hmm. Very gay, superficial comedy about a ghost. Feel it may be good. Six days later, the play was finished. It's actually still a, in production regularly 80 mm -hmm. years later. Mm -hmm. I so yes. happen to play the sassy ghost myself, Ilver Elvira. Or Elvira, it. depending upon your production. We did Elvira. Uh, <laughs> I know that it comes as a surprise to everyone that I would play ghost. Especially a sassy one. Uh, <laughs> your your so, path in life was set very early it on. It was. It was. Uh, so loving this show and loving Noel Coward, when I saw the haunted history thing and that he lived in Jamaica, which I didn't know about, and that he probably haunted that uh, house there I didn't know about. I mean, I fucking had to. I mean, I you need to, to write. Let's write a play called Blythe Spirit 2, and it's about Noel Coward. <laughs> And that way I can Noel play Noel Coward him. Boogaloo. <laughs> yes. Okay, so. Noel Coward, the 
Cowardly dog. What? No. <laughs> For those who don't know who Noel Coward is. Shame on you. I mean, never mind. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> he that was, was aggressive. an English playwright, composer, director, actor, and singer known for his wit, flamboyance, and what Time magazine called a sense of personal style, a combination of cheek and chic, pose and poise. Mm. He was a pretty amazing character. He was. Extraordinarily talented yes. and, and fun. Uh, as his literary executor, Sheridan Morley, summed up in, in the memoir Coward, by 15, he had acted with the sisters Lillian and Dorothy Gish. Mm. At 20, he was a produced playwright playwright and by the time he was 30 he had written the play the drug play the vortex the epic 400 cast cavalcade <laughs> the everlasting <laughs> private lies which is also still in production quite a bit <laughs> and the lyrical operetta bittersweet <laughs> uh i feel like i'm not doing enough with my life <laughs> right <laughs> in Damn all it, no coward penned 60 produced plays produced plays and more than 300 songs Plus, mem plus memoirs, diaries, short stories, and screenplays. Get it. Again. <laughs> Get I am not it, doing no. enough with my life. I mean, he'd be he'd be doing a podcast yeah. if he were alive today. It's true. He definitely would be. I would listen to it. So Noel was raised poor, so it seems he was driven to work in order to stay as far away from that poverty as possible. Uh, makes sense. His mom was like... Um, <laughs> the, the backstage mom kind mm -hmm, of thing, mm -hmm. and she pushed him... At 11, he started acting on stage. Wow. That was his first thing. Um, he also built his glittering career by writing parts that perfectly suited to one particular leading man himself. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. Yeah. That's how I spent most of my career as an right? adaptive writer. <laughs> Critic John Lahr noted in the book, Coward the Playwright, that... In his clipped, bright, confident style, Coward irresistibly combined reserve and high camp. Coward was his own hero, and the parts he created for himself were, in general, slices of his legendary life. Clad in silk dress dressing gowns, hair perfectly slicked back, cigarette holder, and martini in hand, Noel and his onstage alter egos oozed sophistication. Also, Michael, I've come to believe you might be Noel. I was just about to think. Yeah. I was about to say, am I Noel Coward? Really? Yeah, I think you might be. I think you might be. Oh, um, there's only one thing we're going to get to in a minute that I might be like, maybe not. Uh, uh -oh. So <laughs> coming of age in the 1920s, he had no qualms about ce celebrating frivolity just for frivol frivolity's sake. Which is not easy to say. It as is a, not. Yeah. As a closeted gay man, he treated sex and romance lightly, even rebelliously. His characters, both men and women, seemed to possess no internal filter, saying exactly <laughs> what they were thinking to great comic effect, and Noel was no different. No wonder we love him so much. <sighs> right. So here are a few of his quotes that I love that oh, I've included. <clears throat> I'm not a heavy drinker. I can sometimes go for hours without touching a drop. <laughs> um. <laughs> I love him. Yeah. People are wrong when they say opera is not what it used to be. It is what it used to be. That's what's wrong with it. <laughs> From Blythe Spirit, it is discouraging how many people are shocked by honesty and how few by deceit. <laughs> uh, I love this one. What I adore is supreme professionalism. I'm bored by writers who can write only when it's raining. <laughs> God, that's good. Uh, I'm, I included this one for you specifically. This is yes. the one that makes me wonder. Maybe oh, okay. not. Okay. Uh, someone asked him what he was reading. He said, I'm reading more of Oscar Wilde. What a tiresome, affected sod. <laughs> <laughs> that was special for you. Oh, that's <laughs> just one queen opining about another queen. <laughs> I get it, though. It's like Tolstoy saying Shakespeare was shit. It's like, okay, two bears, oh, one cave. We get it. <laughs> so, and the last one is from Private Lives. There, and this is just gives a more of an example of how good he, he was. Uh, the line is, there isn't a particle of you that I don't know, remember, and want. Mm. So good. So good. Mm. So I read that to Jack, and he goes, that guy sounds like he should be a writer. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like uh, Noel Coward and Mark Twain would have gotten along. I know. Famously. It's both you guys are both reincarnated from those guys. That's yeah. great. Okay, so 
Who am I re- reincarnated from? Oh, Dorothy Parker. Who the oh, fuck? Oh, you're There's right. No I doubt. don't even know what I was no thinking. No doubt. Yeah. Okay, so. Dorothy Parker. <laughs> the nice... who's, who's my, who has my favorite quote ever in the English language is when she was asked to define the word horticulture. And she was uh, like, and to use it in a sentence. And she was like, you can, you can lead, lead a, a horticulture, horticulture, but you, you can't, can't make her think. think. <laughs> so good. Okay. So in the 1940s, Noel first traveled to Jamaica to visit his friend, Ian fucking Fleming. Writer of James Bond. Yes, whose home there was incidentally called Goldeneye. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Noel decided he wanted a house like that, too. It was Jamaica. It was beautiful. So he bought some property down the road near a small bay. He named his new vacation home Blue Harbor. Mm. With a U, obviously. Blue Harbor. <clears throat> right. <laughs> he later expanded the main house, built three guest cottages in the substantial grounds, and a lovely swimming pool down by the shore. Blue Harbor quickly became a mecca for Noel's friends and the post-war celebrity set of stage and screen. Who, might you ask? Uh, well, oh. his eternal crush, Laurence Olivier. Uh, they probably. That's for one. I mean, prob- they had to. They probably slept together at some point. Laurence slept with everybody. He was bisexual. Like, yeah. he and Danny Kaye <clears throat> were in a relationship for years. And when Laurence Olivier was married to Joan, Pl- Pl- uh, Joan Plowright and then Vivian Lee and Elsa Lancaster were three of his wives successively. And they all later in an interview were like, oh, yeah, Danny just came with the territory. Right. It was right. understood. And also, I believe Richard Burton talked about how back in the day, if you wanted to move forward, it was either Laurence Olivier or somebody else. And so, like, he, Richard Burton talked about it, too. Richard mm-hmm. Burton was also a guest. <laughs> oh, and we're back As to the old yes. Yeah. Uh, Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor, Marlena Dietrich, Alec mm. Guinness, Peter O'Toole, mm. Sean Connery, the Queen Mother, and Queen Elizabeth herself Wow. went to visit him. And the fun That's thing about this house damn. is it's pretty modestly... Decorated. It's very simple, very, very understated. You would never think that all of these. It's typical for island homes to be that way because the salt air right. deteriorates. And it's and there's something really I think quickly, about so. that it's simplicity that speaks to everybody. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. just easy. That's why yeah. I like the mid-century modern style because yeah. it's yeah. got that simplicity to it, easy uh, to maintain. So by 1955, mm-hmm. excuse me, Noel eventually decided that Blue Harbor was becoming too crowded for him to work. He needed the valuable piece. So he set out to buy a hideaway retreat and found a site 1,200 feet above Blue Harbor, (laughs) which he bought for $150. That was like a bazillion dollars in then money. 1955? I don't think it was. It was probably like $3,000 by today's money. Can you imagine just buying a lot of land? I can. I can imagine that. Like a good, like, oh. (sighs) So he then had a simple house built for himself at the top of the hill and and, uh, completed it with an outdoor swimming pool for, you know, himself. He named the property Firefly. Both Firefly and Blue Harbor enjoy remarkable views of the north coast of Jamaica. Mm. Life at Firefly with close friends revolved around the pool, study, studio, and prolific use of the music room and open dining room with food being sent up from Blue Harbor. Mm. Of his time at the Firefly Estate, Noel wrote in his diary, <clears throat> excuse me, <laughs> he didn't write that. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> Firefly has given me the most valuable venison of all, t- of all. Time to read and write and think and get my mind in order. I love this place. It deeply enchants me. Whatever happens to this silly world, nothing much is likely to happen here. Writing, he believed, came easier when he was there. Mm. He said, the sentences seemed to construct themselves. The right adjectives appeared discreetly at the right moment. Firefly has magic for me. Uh, he loved it there. Loved uh, it there. I relate to that, though. I've, I've, written, yeah. I've written some of my best stuff while it was in Key West. Well, and, and I felt like, damn, there's just something about being on an island. I don't know what yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. He lived in a small house alone, and it was only towards the end of his life that a housekeeper and gardener lived nearby. He died at Firefly in March of 1973. Well, there you go. Which is God the damn it, Jamie. similarity. Uh, <laughs> I guess we're almost March right now. Also, but your guy died in March of 1773. That's true. Which I just wrote that down. I was like, March 1773. Oh. I'm going to go ahead and write oh, that down. Same oh, shit. Same month, just a few hundred years later. There we are again with <clears> the dates. I know. I'm a date person. I don't understand it. Okay, and so he is also buried there. He's buried under a marble slab in the garden at Firefly, near the spot where he would sit at dusk watching the sun set as he sipped his brandy, 
with a ginger ale chaser and looked out to sea along the lush green coast spread out beneath him. Uh, a statue of him gazing out. Yeah, right. A statue of him gazing out over the Blue Harbor graces the lawn. The stone hut on the lawn that was once a lookout for pirate Henry Morgan. Hmm. We'll come back to Captain Morgan in a bit. Yeah. Then uh, afterwards was converted to a bar by Sir Noel. Is now a gift shop and restaurant. On one of Flyerfy's walls is written his last poem. It begins, When I have fears, as Keat as Keats had fears, of the moment I'll cease to be. I console myself with vanished years, remember laughter, remember tears, and the peace of the changing sea. Mm. So <clears throat> that's, that's, lovely. that's our little Noel Coward. Would you like to hear about the haunting? Yes, of course. Well, <clears throat> this is why we need to go to Jamaica. Okay, there are lots of haunted locations on Jamaica. We just are going to focus on this one in particular. And so I had to tell myself that. Okay. So All I right. could commit All to right. it. Otherwise, right. I would get distracted by a lot of things. Okay. Anthropologist Michael Gleason and his wife Michelle purchased Blue Harbor after Noel's death uh, a few years later. They took over. Uh, and when they moved in, Many of Noel's things were still there. His mm. clothes, his monogram towels, cigarette lighters, just like day-to-day -day shit. It was hmm. there. It was like he was still there with them. Wow. And it, the Gleasons always felt like he was still there, too. Wow. The Gleasons turned Noel's home into a resort, and they had people report to them that they smelled cigarette smoke, which could be residual grossness. Like, the way they smoked back then, it was cigarette after cigarette after cigarette sure, after cigarette. Sure, sure. So it could just be something that's in those walls that's never going to come out. That's true. But then people heard him as well. Oh. People have also... That's less explainable. Is, whoopsies. Uh, people have also seen a gentleman walking on the veranda, smoking. A man who plants flowers and then vanishes. Hmm. And they hear music coming from nowhere. Uh, Gerald Hausman Ooh. ran a summer school at Blue Harbor for seven years. He said that during every single three-week semester they had during the summer, up to 45 students at a time, about half of the kids would see ghosts. <clears throat> on one occasion, Gerald's wife Loretta heard what sounded like a party going on downstairs. So they would take over the whole resort. Mm -hmm. and she thought maybe somebody had broken in because she heard chairs scraping, dishes clinking. She mm -hmm. went downstairs to see what the fuck was going on. And the door was locked, and all the lights were off, and there was nobody there. Gerald said on numerous times they heard who they believe was Noel walking. Footsteps, of mm. course, always with the footsteps. Mm -hmm. Smelled his cigarette smoke. Heard him playing the piano. Owner, the owner Michael, <clears throat> who uh, bought it and turned it into the resort, uh -huh. said his guests have been reporting the same activity for years. He said if locals of the island who work at the resort hear or experience anything, they say, like, for example, a glass maybe shattering out of nowhere because that's happened before, apparently. Uh, they'll just say, that's one for Mr. Coward. <laughs> so it's just accepted that he is there. He's just smashing on the ground going, another. Another one. Uh, now, before long, Noel moved. Uh, now, sorry, let me say that again. Now, long before Noel moved to Blue Harbor, the small bay was famous for someone else. Who? And we're Who back could it to be? Captain fucking Morgan. Yeah. Born in 1635, so we're going way back. Uh, Sir Henry Morgan was a Welsh privateer, plantation owner, and later lieutenant governor of Jamaica. Hmm. No one knew how he got from Wales to Jamaica, but once there, Captain Morgan took up that privateer life. So a privateer is a pirate with government support, if you didn't know. <laughs> this is how it would work. It's like a contract laborer for exactly. the government, but a pirate as well. Yeah. So how it worked, especially right then, it's war. Spanish, English, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. war. England issues a commission for an attack. Please go attack these Spanish ships. Privateers would take up the commissions, and they'd usually commission it to specific privateers. Yeah. You know, they'd yeah. be like, hey, I'm a privateer. Won't you hire me? And they'd be like, here's a commission. Go take them. Uh, they just, they'd jump onto LinkedIn and be like, all right, any pirates out there of. that fit the bill? Yes. Uh, those privateers would then, and most of the privateers were just pirates. Right. That turned privateer or buccaneer, I guess is yeah. the other term for it. Uh, they would attack the Spanish ships and, uh, and, do it with the country, with England's blessing. It was kind of like commissioning art, but with blood and death and 
stuff. <laughs> it's like, hey, go uh, attack that ship and we'll let you keep all the gold, no questions asked. Except they didn't. Oh, no? No? No. He was like, give us the gold. And... It's a po- they, had, they took a percentage. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Well, the commissions allowed the privateer to carry on all forms of hostility permissible at sea by the usages of war. This included attacking foreign vessels and taking them as prizes, taking prize crews as prisoners for exchange. Mm-hmm. Captured ship ships were then subject to condemnation and sale under prize law. Basically, to the pirate to the pirate goes the spoils, yeah. right? Finders keepers. Finders keepers. Uh, with the proceeds, so anything they got was divided between. The privateer sponsors, mm. ship owners, captains, and crew. So you think, just like uh, if you're putting on a show, <laughs> yeah. right? We're going to yeah. put on a play. Well, we've got to rent money from yeah. the house. So they're yeah. like, okay, instead of paying us to rent this space, you have to give us proceeds 20% of the proceeds yeah. from that. And yeah. then you have a producer who comes in. They're like, well, we'll give you all the money to put it on. So we'll make sure you have all the shit you need. We get 20% of whatever you get. Right. And then the country... So England would also <laughs> get that, uh, oh. and it's not—it's uh, not, uh, it's not uh, the first or last time countries would team up with pirates. No, of course not. Look at today. <laughs> so Ooh. Morgan was a very, very successful privateer, uh, and I wish I had time to get into all of that, but I don't. In 1667, we have to do a, have to do a special on I just know, pirates. On just pirates. In 1667, diplomatic relations between England and Spain were worsening, and rumors began to circulate in Jamaica about a possible Spanish invasion. This is when the privateers were really happening. At that point, privateers were authorized to take action against the Spanish, and a letter of mark or commission was issued to Morgan to draw together the English privateers and take prisoners of the Spanish nation. Morgan was given the rank of admiral, and in January 1668, assembled 10 ships and 500 men for the task. He was subsequently joined by two more ships and 200 men from Tortuga. Mm. That's just Mm. one example of what he did. Privateers were only allowed to plunder at sea. That was part of the thing. They could not attack anything on land. They could not go Mm. plunder a city. They did, but they weren't supposed to. That was against the rules. (laughs) And they they could get in big trouble for doing it because then they're private. They're, They're pirates, not privateers. Yeah. However... Uh, during this particular commission stated that any, any plunder obtained from the attacks would be split between the government and the owners of the ships rented by the privateers. However, if the privateers stepped outside their official remit and raided a city, any plunder would be retained by the privateers. Uh, so they legalized piracy. Yeah. All they had to hmm. do... All Morgan had to do was prove he had to show evidence that a potential Spanish attack was going to happen in a particular city. And at that point, he had free reign to do whatever he wanted. Man. And there are things that said, like, he he took an entire city and put them in the church and locked them in there so that they could plunder without having people bother them. <laughs> <laughs> like, there are lots of stories about wow. what he did and how many cities he plundered. And now he has a rum named after him. Right. And yeah, he pl- he plundered and he plundered and he plundered he until plundered. he was a very wealthy man. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's see. Do, do, do. He, uh, after this, where he put the inhabitants, it was Porta Princip, Cuba, inside a church so they could plunder the town and hindered. That was that story. He then moved on to capture Portobello, Panama. In part by creating a human shield out of priests, women, and the mayor. God. Over the next few years, other brutal raids followed against two towns in Venezuela and Panama City. Though Morgan was briefly arrested in 1672, he ended up serving as acting governor of Jamaica in 1678 and again from 1680 to 1682. He was arrested because his last attack technically happened after there was a peace treaty. Uh, but he okay. had no way of knowing it. Yeah. However, the Spanish were like, this motherfucker over here has got to pay. And so <laughs> they had to arrest him for appearances. Just, uh, d- diplomatic yeah. reasons. Yeah. yeah. They're like, we got to we, we we show the Spanish that like, we know we mean it. We're, we're sorry. We're so sorry about we're that. Sorry. Yeah. We'll, we'll Ironically, the Jamaican legislature passed an anti-piracy law during his administration during Morgan's administration. And Morgan even assisted in pirate prosecution. 
However, he was also accused of conspiring with pirates. So maybe the pirates that were getting persecuted were the ones that he was getting paid to persecute by other pirates. Yeah, you know, just de- like, deal hey, with competition. Exactly. That's how, was, I mean, they're pirates. <laughs> he was a busy pirate. He was a very busy pirate. He said he was, I mean, I'm just <clears> going <throat> to say this. He was really good at his job. He was. He was very, very good. Very organized. <laughs> very smart. Yeah. Uh, so how is he connected to Blue Harbor? Yeah. Well, that particular bay is just south of Santiago, Cuba, probably about 100 miles or so. Okay. So you can't see Cuba from there. But should those Spanish ships that were headed to Cuba mm-hmm. get blown off course a little south, oh, guess yeah. who was waiting oh. and could see it from that bay? Ooh. He was there. Uh, a little privateer vessel, a little fast one. Just, out there, just zip, zip, zip. Get up over there and take them all down. So there are also numerous caves around yeah, that area. Yeah. So it is said that he buried a lot of treasure within those caves. Oh, oh, I know this story. And Morgan isn't the only one <clears throat> who buried treasure. So uh, he chose this location specifically <clears throat> because of that relation. But I think the caves is what brought other pirates there mm. to hide stuff. Um, Gerald, who hosted the school, said he could oftentimes hear a pickaxe and a shovel late at night. <sighs> He believes the sounds are from the spirits of the pirates still digging for treasure. He's also had quite the harrowing experience in one particular room of the resort. He was laying on the bed just for a second. Didn't plan on taking a nap. Whoopsie, I'm in a deep sleep. We've all been there. (laughs) (laughs) But when he woke up, (laughs) there was the face of a pirate right next to his face. And he could smell... His rancid breath, oh, as well. Smell the scurvy on him. Yeah, as oh. well as a tingling around his neck from where the pirate was choking him, oh. and he wasn't able to breathe. And it wasn't—he wasn't the only pirate, though. The, the room was full of pirates. Oh. There were other pirates there oh. as well. And uh, suddenly, and he part heard of him an, was like, "This is my fantasy. I've wanted this for so long. <laughs> <laughs> this is so great. Please stop." Uh, <laughs> I just want to be choked out by a pirate. I just once, just once. <laughs> well, other pirates are watching. That's hey, right. you know, I'm not. I'm not here to. Everybody's got a thing. It's no judgment. So then he heard a noise, and just out of nowhere, the pirates disappeared. His wife Loretta was making noise as she was coming into the room. Right when they disappeared, it was so fast that he asked her, "Did you see anything?" She didn't, but she did tell him that something smelled really, really bad. And uh, she described it as a combination of smoke and rotten rum, as well as old tobacco flakes. These ghost pirates just dutched ovened me. Yeah, yes. <laughs> and she felt like an ozone sensation Ew. in the air, too, which I think is a really, that's a Ew. really good specific description. Uh, and that's on Blue Harbor. Noel has also been seen at Firefly. Mm. The same kinds of things. And Firefly right? was the higher elevation. The right? higher elevation. Yeah. The small. The small yeah. house. Firefly is now listed as a national heritage site heritage site <laughs> by the Jamaican National Heritage Trust. And you can actually visit if Ooh, you're cool. in Jamaica. Nice. They even do weddings. <gasps> oh. So on top of that, Blue I Harbor. Love an island wedding. I know, right? Blue Harbor is still a resort. You can rent by the villa or by the whole damn resort and i really want to go let's get the whole resort you can go here's the thing you can go 12 people 12 people can go for how much take the whole resort it's like 450 dollars a person for a week 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 we should do that that wouldn't get me a nice hotel room if we do a ghost hunt there it would be tax deductible <laughs> Which that's why you want to go, right? Right. It's I'm right just, on the coast. I'm co- there I mean, to do research for a play on the night of light of, of Noel Coward. Yeah. As well. Like, right. Oh, get oh, the spirit in for you. For Blythe Spirit too. <gasps> yes. Find out if it's like you go there and then if you know where everything is, like you've been there before, we'll know that you're really reincarnated. Oh my God, yes. That would be amazing. And then I have to write Blythe Spirit too. Yes. Ooh, yes. yes. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm going to do this. Okay. So that's that story. But I have another little story for you, too. Please. So I know you're going on this cruise in the, cru- cruise in the Caribbean. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And 
We're just stopping off in Cosmos, just one island. So. Okay, okay. Well, I thought it would be fun to hear some ghost stories from cruises. <gasps> oh, yay. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Thanks. These are from you the freak richest. You me out about planes. <laughs> I can't no. myself. Uh, These are great. from the richest.com. Okay. All right. All a daughter right. and her mother were on the Thompson Celebration. That's not your ship. No. A, it's a smaller <laughs> and more intimate cruise liner. Both guests were trying to de- figure out what to do during the day. It was a day at sea, so they decided to go to the cinema. Allegedly, they were in the cinema and had both decided to sit near the back. Ten minutes into the film, three people walked in and sat towards the left of the mother and daughter. The figures even appeared to walk all the way down to the front as if looking for seats, even though there was only the mother and daughter. The three people turned and walked towards where the mother and daughter were sitting and sat right behind them. As Hmm. they sat down, the daughter told her mother they should move, feeling uneasy. As both got up to move, they realized there was no one in the row behind them. In August of 2005, (laughs) one man and his son went for a vacation on board the Thompson Destiny, a Greek cruise liner. Mm-hmm. He had the fright of his life when he woke at six in the morning to a shadowy stranger in his cabin. It all oh, started when the man no. woke up to the sound of his wardrobe doors swinging wide open. No. He sat up on his bed and noticed a man rummaging around the wardrobe. No. The guest allegedly shouted something, and the ghost, who had shoulder length blonde hair and was wearing some sort of uniform, dived into the wardrobe. The startled traveler jumped out of bed and was at the wardrobe in a matter of seconds. However, there was no trace of the intruder. Then, (laughs) the guest got even more spooked when his son sat up exorcist style and yelled out, You don't care about the people on this ship! (laughs) Then his son went right back to sleep. That's, okay, that last bit is hysterical to (laughs) me. But also, can you imagine it? You don't care about it, what? <laughs> what the fuck is going Who on? Who is talking through you? Uh, okay. How would you report that? You call him like, hey, um, there was a ghost in my cabin. And it's disturbing and you hear my someone, son's like, sleep. someone like the concierge go, oh, are you in you mm-hmm. in cabin 246? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. You got to get talk to the bartender on your ship. <laughs> Bartenders, all of them. In April, three years ago, a couple decided to sail on the Carnival Conquest. On several occasions, oh, I think I've sold. I think I've been on that one. Oh, yeah? I think that was the one Brennan and I did a few oh, years ago. Oh wow! Okay, so Sounds on several familiar. occasions, they both started to experience weird and startling events in their room. Mm-hmm. The couple allegedly claimed that they were about to make love when oh. both heard their cabin doors opening and closing. The girlfriend asked if someone entered the cabin, and the man shook his head and looked toward the darkness. The man then heard the safe and cabinet door slam open on its own. A shadowy figure could be made out, which appeared to be a steward with his hand in the safe, watching the couple. The man asked his girlfriend if she saw him too. She immediately turned on the lights, but the apparition was gone. They decided to pray, and then they weren't bothered again for the remainder of the trip. But the two would find out that other people in their hall had similar experiences. Yeah. Oh, now I'm going to be on the lookout for ghosts going through my shit. Good. There's more. On the last day (laughs) of a cruise's departure, a mother and daughter were staying on board the brilliance of the seas. At six in the morning, the mom woke up to her then 15-year-old daughter standing in the middle of the room. She called out to her daughter, wondering what she was doing. Her daughter then answered from the couch. Still dazed from sleepiness, she did not bother herself with the eerie occurrence and fell back asleep. About an hour later, they were both awake and getting dressed to leave. The TV suddenly turned on by itself, but the remote was on the bed. Then both allegedly smelled a rotten stench. The mother then heard two staff members next door struggling to open a storage door. The mother overheard one tell the other that it felt like someone was holding the door shut from inside. The mother soon rushed her daughter out and immediately left their departure an hour early. I got two more for you. Another cruise traveler also (laughs) aboard the Carnival Conquest encountered a seemingly friendly spirit in cabin number 2465. One night, a male guest went to dinner solo because his wife wasn't feeling well. When he returned, his wife asked if he had come back to the cabin for anything. He said he hadn't. The wife then explained that someone touched her on the leg and that the touch woke her up. The woman decided it was nothing and blew it off. Weeks after the cruise, the man and his wife decided to attend a seance. Strangely... 
The soul guider asked the couple if anyone had recently been on a cruise and if anything strange happened. The man's wife related the to the touch in the cabin. The soul guider said her aunt had died on the Carnival Conquest two years ago in cabin 2463. Oh. Shocked, the wife asked why the aunt had touched her. The soul guider calmly said that the aunt was just comforting her. Aww. It's an interesting, like she knew she was going to see her, yeah. her niece, yeah. right? Like, oh. Aww. The Dawn is another cruise liner which has been at the center of a handful of spooky paranormal experiences that have been reported by many guests. One very active spirit, a woman described as having short blonde hair, has been seen on board by a few eyewitnesses. Mm. Many believe the spirit is that of a lady named Mindy Jordan. Supposedly, she was from New York. She died on the ship's balcony after a terrible fall back in 2008. Two guests staying in rooms 10626 and 10628 reported waking up in the middle of the night. One guest described first feeling heavy movement on the bed. The guest assumed it was just his or her partner, but when the guest realized the movement seemed to be at the foot of the bed, the guest opened his eyes to see a short-haired blonde woman. They were shocked to find her sitting at the end of the bed. Mm -hmm. Lucky for you. No one took time to figure out if there have been any random deaths on, what was it? The Enchantment of the Seas? Is that where you're going? <laughs> so like, God damn you. you would have no idea <laughs> if a 62-year-old woman died of natural causes on, uh, in 2013 on deck seven, or if like <laughs> on December 17th, 2007, a man drowned after falling overboard. Or uh, damn you. <laughs> it, you wouldn't know anything about the guy who took his own life by jumping overboard in 2006 or the woman who disappeared and is assumed to have fallen overboard in 2000. Uh, you, but so you don't have to know anything about that. Thanks. I so won't. I hope you have a wonderful time. <laughs> I'm going to bring back something with me and leaving it here. Don't do it. I will. <laughs> I will. I'll be like, hey, Jamie, this is the ghost of Captain Morgan. <laughs> I he bought has a you couple this of gift. notes for you. You're going to buy me something haunted, a doll or some shit. Well, <laughs> I will light it on fire and send it to hell, just like Jesus would do. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so, <sighs> so that's. <laughs> no, but there will be a lot of spirits on this cruise, that's and true. I will be drinking them. That's, I'm glad. I'm excited for yeah. you. So yeah. you leave. So this is, we're so, recording on Saturday. So recording on Saturday. I fly out Sunday and we shove off uh, Monday from Galveston. Okay. Monday afternoon, late afternoon, evening, whatever. Okay. And it's, That's, this will come out Monday yeah. night. So. Yeah. And then it's. Um, You'll be seeing the dolphins when this airs. Yeah, we might. We might swim with the dolphins in Cozumel. Oh, nice. There's a place where you can do that. It was not very far from where. So Cozumel, we've done several times. Yeah. And uh, once, last time we were there, we just flew in so we could have, like, be on a dive resort for several days. And it was really fun. But while we were at our dive resort, we would kind of, you know, because you go dive in the morning and then you come back in the afternoon and you kind of spend the rest of the day just kind of recovering from your dive because it's exhausting. Yeah. And um, so you drink and you, you know, eat and then you walk uh, the streets and... We found not very far from our scuba resort was Scuba Club Cozumel, which is really bare bones, but kind of fucking awesome. Yeah. Uh, there was a place where you can go and swim with dolphins right oh, there. And cool. we're like, oh, we want to do that. But we never quite had the energy to do it after diving. Mm -hmm. So we might, we're not going to do a dive while we're in Cozumel because right. it's so exhausting. I don't want to get back on the boat and then just be exhausted while doing, you know, con stuff that we're there to do. Right. Because uh, I cannot stress enough how exhausting it is to dive. You yeah. do two or three dives in the morning and the rest of the day you're just wiped. And just for the record, it's, it's kind of exhausting to con too. It is, it, it is. So you shouldn't do both at the same time no, in the same day anyway. So we're just going to go and like swim with some dolphins and then come back. And That'll be, be fun. Be so it's one day to Cozumel, then we're in Cozumel for a day, and then we come on back. Oh, so that's then nice. we, I come, we come back Friday. 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 Okay. Friday. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. I know I get the dogs for a few days, so I'm excited you about that. They're do. all downstairs snorting at each other right <laughs> now. Gus was so excited. He was. He does not like being in the car at all. It really freaks him out. But once we pull up outside, he cannot wait to get in here. It's He's like, fun. oh my God. He was like barking at the door while I was, I was like knocking. It was pretty great. It was hysterical. Yeah. He just loves coming over here. Uh, well, thank you for filling my head with things I need to be worried about. You are so Appreciate welcome. you. Um. You're so welcome. I'm here for you. I hope that you can relay these things to Brandon because I will. he'll get more freaked out than you, and then that will be adorable. <laughs> and you can, you can Brandon's not really freaked out by this kind of stuff. Do you know that? He's, he's like, not. I feel like, though, if you're like, take him to the de deck seven and be like, somebody died right here. 
Oh, and he'll just be like, ooh. ooh. Oh, okay, great. Yeah, he's not He's not easily. I just hope you get some something cool happen. Spooky wise. Something probably will. It's a yeah. boat. Um, it's weird. Yeah. Boats are always a little weird. I like them, but it's weird. There's yeah, something about being weird. on a boat that's like, oh, yeah. I'm trying to think. Of, I feel like weird stuff happened when we were on a cruise a few years ago, but I can't remember now what it was. So it wasn't terribly. My stomach never settled on the cruise I was on. Ever. Yeah, I have to take Dramamine and like Ever. this anti-nausea. It wasn't sick. I was just uncomfortable. It didn't matter yeah. what I ate. It made me yeah. sick. And it wasn't, but it wasn't like vomit. I wasn't nauseated. It's typical. It was just, like, it's just you're, very, you're very motion sick. And yeah. and sometimes just like that can, yeah. It's, I, I was a little, I'm not quite as susceptible to motion sickness as you are, but it can still get me. And on yeah. the boat after a while, I was like, ooh. I had a harder time once I got back. Then I had sea legs for like two weeks. <laughs> it was crazy. You had the rolling gait of a sea fetter. I always felt like I was moving. And on the ship, I was fine. It's like being on a trampoline all day. And then you walk yeah. around and you're like, why isn't the earth as pliant as... Exactly. <laughs> why isn't everything bouncing? Exactly. It was and, nice, though. And your body's like, what the fuck? Yeah. I yeah. went with some girlfriends and we had a big suite and a balcony and we'd read on the balcony. And it was just... Fun. The pools are so crowded. I don't... Yeah, I'm not, I'm not much for swimming anyway. I just yeah. like to go on the decks I want, and I like sit to... and read or go to the bars and yeah. drink. And I love to just look at the ocean. Yeah, I do like that. Yeah, I that like that really a lot. Nice. I did so. a lot of reading. Yeah. Chilling out. Really. There's a lot. Some I might do a little gambling. I might, you know, other stuff. Sometimes it's fun to see the shows on a cruise because sometimes, yeah, they're, like sometimes they're really good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I know like a lot for, of people. Frequently, like on the ship we were on, the, sh the, the shows were super cheesy, but really slick. Like yeah. I was like, okay, this is fun as shit. Like it's just mm -hmm. a review of, of a bunch of different songs and stuff. And they're like loosely tied together with a story. Yeah. But it's, it was really fun. And everyone, all the performers were really good. And we're like, well, that's good on them. This is right. a fun, this is a fun it way to pass fun. the time yeah. on a boat. Uh, but yeah, so well, we I know will. you guys are going to have fun. Uh, we will, we will. Please I'm don't bring sure me back. Any ghosts. I'll try. No promises. Yeah, I'll try not to. I know that. Something may, you know, piggyback. Mm. <laughs> Never like, hey, Jamie, here's another to add to your collection. <laughs> <laughs> Put it in the file. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Yes. You enjoyed our little trip yes, to yes, the yes. Caribbean. We'll probably be back for more pirate yeah. adventures. I think being on a cruise ship all week is going to make me want to do one on Pirates. Yeah. Yeah. Probably it's probably not going to be next one. We had to plan so that we could do it in short. <laughs> yeah, because we're so much traveling. Because there's so much traveling. Yeah. But soon. All right. All right. Well, ghoulintentions.com. Check it out. It has all the links to all the things. You can buy your shirts there. You can, you know, go to all of the social medias there as well. Um, please rate us. Yeah. And give us the five stars. 27 we need the validation. Stars, yeah. <laughs> Personally, uh, I just want the validation. It, it really is quite helpful. Um, tell your friends. Share. Share us. Um, yeah. To everybody. And uh, remember. It's, it's okay, okay to, to sleep, sleep with the lights on. on.